On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about jobs. You know, every month we get these reports of job creation, jobs gained, jobs lost, whatever across the country from Statistics Canada. Where do these numbers come from? How do they decide what they are? How do they calculate them? Because A, they seem to be very round numbers always, and B... Well, August, we had 81,000 new jobs created. Think about that. In a country of 37 million, 81,000 new jobs. That's a monumental number. How is that real? Is it legit? Can we trust these numbers? We'll talk about that one. And if you're looking, if you're talking about the job that most people, that many people would say is the greatest job you could ever have. It might be standing along the red carpet at a film festival interviewing celebrities, movie stars, as they walk by. We're going to talk to a local guy who's been doing just that at the Toronto International Film Festival all week about whether it really is as glamorous as it looks. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. New job numbers are out. Statistics Canada came out with their August job numbers. And... To describe these numbers as amazing would be an understatement. These numbers are supersonic, and that's not even a word you can use to describe numbers. But this is these are numbers that blow you away. And yet, just a month before, we're looking at numbers that are, if not in the pits of despair, certainly discouraging. And I got to admit, And I've talked to a few people today around the office and other places. And I said, do you understand this whole job number thing? And after first saying, well, yeah, it's how many jobs we have. And I said, and how do we come to these numbers? Nobody knows. Well, that's not true. One person knows. His name is Marvin Ryder. He is a professor at the DeGroote School of Business. And he joins us now. Marvin, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you. So let's go through this. Uh, Statistics Canada in July announces that we have lost 28,000 jobs. Doesn't sound good. Losing jobs is always a bad thing. Then we get to August. I don't know what happened. Who flipped a switch? What changed? Suddenly we are up 81,000 jobs, which almost seems like it's impossibly enormous. How do we... First of all, when you hear these numbers, are these numbers plausible? Do these sound like 80,000 jobs in a country like Canada, which is not a huge country? Is that a reasonable number? Uh, Well, you said it's a supersonic number. In a typical month, we're more likely to add 25 to 30,000 jobs. That's typically what the market can take up in a month. So when you have 80,000, that's that's really a very, very good month. Just to go back to how do they get this number. So Stats Canada does a survey. They cannot possibly do a census where they talk to every company in the country every month and say, did you hire, how many did you hire, what have you. So instead they take a representative sample, and then based on that sample they scale it up. So if I talk to, let's make up a number here and say 2,000 companies, and those 2,000 companies represent, let's say, 5% of the total, and they added this many jobs, and if that's 5%, and I scale it up to 100 as a result, I personally don't put a lot of stock in the month-by-month numbers because of what I call noise. The scaling-up effect can sometimes overstate a good month, and it can also sometimes overstate a bad month. I tend to look at the trend line, which way are jobs going in general, and whether we actually added 81,000 or 70,000 or 60,000, to me, in a way, is irrelevant. It's the trend. Where are we going? And what we saw this summer was a quiet job summer. There weren't a lot of jobs added in the months of May, June, and July. It was, it was relatively quiet. And we thought, well, okay, 
the economy is is a little flat. We've also, uh, as a university, we put out all these grads in May. It takes a while to absorb all of them to be expected. So the August number, we were expecting some good news, but nowhere near this kind of a number. So I have a feeling it might be uh, the noise taking effect. And then when we see the September number, don't be surprised if they go back and say, well, you know what, we probably overstayed August a little bit, and, and they uh, revise it in some way. And even though you take the, uh, I think, a reasonable, by the sounds of it, approach to sort of not be caught up in the wild swings one way or another, everything I'm reading says investors are following this really, really closely and making lots of decisions based on these job numbers. So clearly there are people who are buying into the, the ebbs and flows. Well, well, sort of. So let's keep in mind what's happened over the last month. In the middle of August, we saw this thing called an inverted yield curve. And you and I talked a little bit about this. An inverted yield curve is often a harbinger of a recession, usually 12 to 16 months down the road. So okay, we've had one bad sign, do we have other bad signs? And if um, a few weeks later we get job numbers and, yeah, the jobs are down and then we get some numbers on inflation, oh, that's not good, you begin to see a trend. You put A and B and C together and you say, my God, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Now, instead, what we're getting are these mixed signals. Yes, we saw the inverted yield curve, but then we saw the American Federal Reserve Board cut their interest rates by a little bit. When you cut interest rates, you stimulate the economy to try to avoid a recession. Then you get job numbers. Well, those are a little strong. And so the market is is trying to figure out, is trying to divine which way this is going. And then keep in mind that we're trying to do all of this in the context of Canada, but Canada's not alone. We've got to think about what's going on with the rest of the world. And certainly the last two weeks, it's been if not crazy, bizarre to watch what's going on in England with Brexit, depending upon what happens there by the end of October, the uh, a leaving without a deal, that could send the world into a recession. Leaving with a deal could go in a totally different direction. So everyone's taking these tentative steps, and every little fact that comes out, we overanalyze, I think, because of how sensitive we are these days. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are talking with Marvin Ryder about jobs, the jobs numbers for Canada last month. Unbelievable, unbelievable. 81,000 new jobs in Canada, Statistics Canada tells us. 28,000 lost the month before. Marvin was just explaining these are an overview as opposed to perhaps an exact science. Uh, but Marvin, let's, let's go to that then. What is a job? And I think that's a sort of a stupid question in some ways because we know what a job is. But for the sake of this polling and this data, what is a job? Well, a job is any form of employment. So uh, I think a full-time is easy to understand. You've entered onto the payroll, you're working your 35 to 40 hours a week, and that's a full-time job that they track. But a part-time job, that can take one of two forms. A part-time job could be somebody who's working 15 hours a week, but they're doing that every single week. But it could also be somebody who's working full-time hours, but on a contract. So you've got a three-month employment contract or a six-month employment contract full-time while it exists, but it's part-time in the sense that you're not a full-time member of the staff. So they count all of those as jobs. And that's also why sometimes when you hear about uh, a shift, in other words, there were some part-time jobs converted into full-time, that doesn't necessarily mean jobs were lost. It might be that somebody was on a contract, just became a regularized member of the troop, or vice versa, someone who was full-time might choose to go part-time, maybe a 
maternity leave or paternity leave, and they shift on their own. So some of this isn't really good or bad economic activity. It just reflects our own forms of employment. I see. And what you just described is exactly, I think, as what people would have interpreted the definition of a job to be. I thought maybe because of these numbers, maybe there was something more mysterious or something else there. But I mean, it's just a job is a job. A job is a job, very much so. And Scott, just I know you probably have another question, but let me just go back for a second to that survey and the sure. jobs numbers. Stats Canada also tries to not only give you the Canadian numbers, but break it down by province and, most pertinent to us, break it down by city. Here's my problem with that. The more you try to break it down, the smaller the sample size that you base it on. So, for instance, here in Hamilton, they're giving you employment numbers in Hamilton, but it may only be because of 10 companies they surveyed out of the 100 or more that could be here. And so, again, you can get noise, you can get little errors that creep in, but then when you magnify it, you blow it up, it overstates it. So I always say to people, especially as we start to come away from the national numbers, to the provincial numbers and then the city numbers, take it all with a big grain of salt. It's telling you the trend, but I'm not sure you can count on exactly those number of jobs in the community. Well, it's a great segue because there is another number out. Manpower Group polled Hamilton businesses. Now, I don't know how many they polled, to your point. And apparently, 7% say they plan to hire additional staff in the fourth quarter of this year. 7% say they plan to cut back. My math is not perfect, but that means a net zero, as I understand it. Um, how th- that then, so do we read into that to say, well, Hamilton's economy is therefore somewhat stagnant or do we not read anything into that? Yeah. So again, it's hard. Let me give you a couple of reasons. First, that manpower study was based on 1900 companies surveyed coast to coast. It wasn't 1900 in Hamilton, 1900 coast to coast. So again, probably they're basing this on 10 to 12 companies surveyed locally. As well, they're asking people a hypothetical question. Scott, it's not exactly a comparison, but next month in October, some nice company is going to come out and say, we asked shoppers about how much money they're going to spend at Christmas this year. Right. And people were cutting back. Oh, we're going to cut back. We're going to cut back. And then in January, we see what they actually spent. And guess what? (laughs) They they said they weren't going to spend more, but they did. And so this really reflects not actual hiring that's going to happen, but their feeling. If they're feeling the economy is good and strong, then they're probably going to say, yeah, yeah, I can see us hiring five, ten more individuals. If they're feeling the economy is a little borderline, they're likely going to hold pat. And that's really what these numbers tell us. As we head into the fall, given what's going on with China and the United States, given what's going on with Great Britain and the Brexit possibilities, people are feeling a little uncertain. So we don't have that halo of rosiness that says, you know, jobs and milk and honey are all going to be flowing. I think there'll still be hiring. I know that because there are businesses that have to hire for the Christmas rush in November and and December. So there will be part-time jobs created as there is every year, and they'll be lost in January when Christmas is over. So I'm not exactly worried there won't be opportunities, but it signals that people are just not as rosy about the economy as we head into the fall. So we should not immediately then assume the pessimistic view that Hamilton is in a no-growth position, especially because, as you just pointed out, Uh, my expectation is that every year as we lead into Christmas, that's when jobs are created. Part-time jobs that people are hired for the Christmas season. If we're saying no jobs at Christmas, man, that sounds terrible. Right, it does. And so also keep in mind, who are some of the big employers in Hamilton? The university, the boards of education, the two hospitals. 
they are always hiring people. They're always hiring people because they also always have people retiring. Now, are they adding compliments? Well, we know that the federal government and the provincial government are not exactly flowing a lot of extra money to these public sector people, so they're kind of holding their own, but that doesn't mean they won't be doing hiring. They just won't be doing extra hiring because there's not extra money flowing this year. Again, that can change as priorities change. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Always love having you on. Thanks for doing this. Glad to be here. Uh, By the way, one thing you can take away from Marvin's explanation there, if you are someone who presently is looking for work in Hamilton and you hear that there were 81,000 people hired across the country, A, maybe you should be optimistic, and B, if you didn't get a job, those 81,000 may not be a real number, so you don't have to assume you're a giant loser that you didn't get one of those. Because that 81,000 is just an extraordinary number when you consider that fifteen to 20,000 is a great month. And then we've got one month of 81,000. The problem with this, and we've got to go to break, the problem with this is that it's these numbers that make people start to doubt the numbers here. And the numbers, I don't think they're supposed to be exactly accurate, but boy, you get an 80,000 outlier and people go, come on, what? Read into it what you will. If you are an investor, invest as you will. But I'm not believing there are 81,000 jobs actually created last month. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Tomorrow, Prime Minister Trudeau is apparently going to go to Rideau Hall. He's going to speak to the Governor General. He's going to dissolve the House of Commons, dissolve Parliament, dissolve his government. And the writ will be dropped and the election starts tomorrow. Are you excited? Are you excited about the election? We've, I mean, we've had a year ago, a little more than a year ago, it was the provincial election and we had a municipal election and now we get the federal one. We finished the trifecta. I don't know if people are really excited, really anxious to get out there and watch the debates and cast their votes and have lots of discussions slash vicious arguments with their friends and neighbors, or if they are saying, I am so, so tired of politics, please make it stop. I don't know. We're going to find out. And we're going to find out by number of votes cast, but that's not going to be till late next month. But tomorrow, the election, like it or not, like it or lump it, as my dad once used to say, like it or lump it. I don't know what the lump part was in that one. Anyway, like it or lump it, the election is starting tomorrow. You can't avoid it. I suppose you could go on a long trip go on a six-week safari somewhere and avoid it, but you're probably going to catch it. Who are you voting for? Have you, we are not, we are about to start day one. There's the TV in the studio right now playing an election ad. How about that? They've already gotten going on it. Have you decided who you're voting for? We are launching an election tomorrow. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are going to be spent on election campaign ads. And yet I believe that probably, despite what polls may tell you and everything else, I believe that probably 90%, give or take, 90% of voters already know who they're going to vote for. I really believe that. I don't believe, the only thing that could change that is if something truly bonkers happens. I mean, if that is always the, the caveat in this discussion. If, if a leader is caught with, as we just talked about, with some wild scandal or something else, 
things can change. But I, I really believe that if the if we stay on the course that we're on, if nothing crazy happens between now and the middle slash end of October, 90% of Canadians who have the power to vote know who they're going to vote for. I, I truly believe that. I want to know if you're one of them. I want to know who you are going to vote for or who you're not going to vote for. But presumably, if you know who you're not going to vote for, you have a pretty good idea who you are going to vote for. Or I want to hear from you if you are one of what I believe is really 10% or less who legitimately, honestly, truly are in the undecided camp. Because here's the thing. Again, Call me a cynic. I believe that most of the people who at this point would call themselves undecided are probably unlikely to cast a vote because they're probably not paying that close attention. If you, if you follow any current events, if you follow politics, if you follow anything going on in our country, by now, surely you have some point of view, don't you? Now, maybe, maybe the undecided part comes between, I don't know if I'm going to vote for the Green Party or the NDP. I don't know if I'm going to vote for the NDP or the Liberals. I can't believe there is a person out there who is saying, you know, I'm really torn between Andrew Scheer and Elizabeth May. I just can't decide between the two of them. There's, come on, there is nobody out there who is having that internal discussion with themselves, is there? I can't decide if I'm going to go to the conservative side or the far left liberal, small L liberal side. I've, I'm really torn. Nobody's in that position. And if you are, I would suggest you probably need to do a little reading because I don't think it's possible for someone to be that unaware of their own beliefs or philosophies or values or leanings. Anyway, 905 645-3221 or star 9900. The election begins tomorrow. You're going to have time. You could change your mind. You absolutely, I'm not, I'm not holding you to this. If you call in, first of all, you're only giving us your first name. And secondly, I don't have the power to force you to vote the way you tell us you're going to vote. But I want to hear if there are people out there who have already made up their mind before a dime, well, not even before, they have started some election ads, but for all intents and purposes, before a dime is spent of the millions and millions and millions of dollars that are going to be dumped into this, of the hours of coverage here on CHML and CHCH at The Spectator, anywhere you go in the media, before all of that happens, have you already locked in? Is all of this money, in other words, and time kind of being wasted, chasing a very very slender slice of the Canadian populace who, I don't know how they don't have a point of view by now. I really don't. But I want to hear from you if you have decided in which way you are going to vote or not going to vote. Maybe your decision is only who you're not voting for at this point. That's fine too. That's fine too. 905-645-3221, star 999. Zero, zero. I would love to hear from you because we are now embarking on six weeks, roughly, give or take, that will be intense, will be all-encompassing, all to get you to cast a ballot for a candidate that I believe you have probably already decided who you're going to vote for. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The election begins tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's begun weeks ago for all intents and purposes. I mean, it began 
Back during the Jody Wilson-Raybould thing, that was all part of the election. And before then, I mean, we look, we've been in an election since the last election. This is how it works now. It's politics 24 hours a day. But officially, the election will begin tomorrow. Millions of dollars are going to be spent to win your vote. But I believe 90% plus of Canadians, despite what polls may tell us, I believe 90% plus of Canadians who will cast the ballot have already decided who they're going to vote for. I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221, star 9900. If you're one of them, or if you are truly one of the people who they are going after, Tyler joins me first today. Tyler, how are you? Not bad yourself. I'm doing great, thank you. So, millions of dollars are going to be spent. Are they being spent on you, or have you already decided? Uh... Well, it's either going to be blue or red. Um, well, my big my big thing right now is it all depends on uh, what they're going to offer or what they are offering already. And to be honest, who's going to do the least amount of bashing when it comes to their campaign? I, I, I you're I an optimist if you think there won't be much. Uh, no, I just I just don't want. The main thing is I don't want bashing. Whatever they offer, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the math. Does it seem like it's gonna you know? be one of those failed promises or is it legitimate and is it legitimate across the board? Like, is everybody going to be able to, uh, you know, reap the benefits from it? Uh, last thing before I let you go to you. So you legitimately have not decided at this point. Nope. Okay. There you go, Tyler. I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, let me go to Mike. Mike, how are you today? Hey, it's Mike, the geography teacher. Hey, Scott. Mike, the geography teacher. How are you? I'm fine. This uh, lecture is going to get nasty and dirty. They're going to dig up old videos for sure and old comments. None of the traditional parties do much for me, and I may just vote green. Now, that says, so you you too have not fully decided at this point. Well, it's leaning that way because really, uh, with the Indian fiasco and Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh, they don't do much for me. You know, if you're going to be a politician in this country, if you're going to do something for the country, you have to be a real, true patriot. And I don't see that amongst the traditional parties at this time. Mike, I appreciate the call. Thank you. All the best, sir. Uh, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Have you yet decided? That's two that say no, which I think is probably two of about 17 in the whole country. But we will see. I mean, you know, who knows? My theory may be wrong. Let me go to Paul. Paul, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Have you decided who you're voting for yet? I have decided. Okay, do you want to tell us who? Brewster's Millions. You remember that movie? I do. With uh, um, uh, what's it, Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor. He had to spend ten million bucks or to, in order to get a huge inheritance. And it's none of the above. None of the above. So what does that mean? Who? who so are you going to not vote at all? Uh you know what, maybe a spoiled ballot. I don't have confidence in any of these guys. Now, here's the problem, Paul, and while I, I, I take your position, the problem is somebody is going to end up forming a government. We don't have the option for every, not everyone is going to vote spoiled ballot, so we end up with nobody leading us. So what then? You, you know what, I mean, you, you make a valid point. But I, I myself cannot, in good conscience, vote for someone that I'm not. I don't. Uh, I don't believe in. Out of curiosity, Paul, before I let you go, who was the last Canadian political leader 
party leader that had your confidence that you really felt strongly about? You know what? I mean, uh, John Crutchen, um, probably even Stephen Harper. Okay. All right. In today's world, I just have nobody's confidence. Paul, I thank you for the call. Have a great night. Uh, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. See, now there, the one thing that I didn't factor into my theory, which I still hold to, I still think that most people have already decided. And the th- even if it's leaning, I think that most people have a thought today and that's who they will ultimately end up casting a ballot for. I really do. Paul, though, throws the one wrinkle into the mix, and that is, I hate everybody. Everybody sucks. All the leaders are horrible. I don't like Trudeau. Trudeau has done all kinds of stuff that I find distasteful in SNC and playing favorites with Quebec over Alberta and on and on and on, saying he's a feminist, but having the crokiny grope and all the other stuff. Sheer, I don't know what to think of Sheer. I don't know if I like Sheer or not. Jugmeet Singh, that's a wasted vote. Some people will say he slipped to fourth overall. Elizabeth May, yeah, that may be a wasted vote too. I mean, it becomes very difficult to know who you're going to vote for. Maybe that's the the wrinkle in the ointment. Is that a saying? The fly in the ointment. I don't know if ointments get wrinkles. They save wrinkles. I don't know. Let me go to Henry. If I can get the button pressed here. Henry, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Have you decided who you're voting for? I think I have. And you want to tell us? NDP. NDP. Now, yeah. the the as I just said a moment ago, the risk in that one, we've just been hearing that the NDP has now slipped to fourth in the national polls. D, are you somebody who worries that your vote then becomes a wasted vote? Um, I'd rather have a wasted vote than have Trudeau back in there. There you go. And, and I'm guessing that if you are thinking of voting NDP, you're probably not thinking that you may switch it to Andrew Scheer. Andrew Scheer lost my vote when the, the one in Toronto got elected in. Ford. Okay, there you go. Uh, Henry, I appreciate your call. Thanks so much. Thank you. 905, well, you know what? We're going to take a break. We're going to go to a break. But listen, I'm, I'm happy to hear from you. Radley at 900CHML.com. I would love to hear where you stand on this. The election begins tomorrow. You are going, I, I'm sorry about this, if, if you are not a political junkie. But the reality is no matter where you turn for the next month and a half, you are going to be bombarded with this. Signs will be up tomorrow. You'll start to see them tomorrow. You're going to see blanket coverage tomorrow beginning. You're going to have the debates. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. You're going to be around the dinner table. You're going to be discussing. It is get ready, get used to it. But as I say, if you have not already got in your mind who you're going to vote for, I would say you are in the real minority or at least leaning hard one way or the other. You would be in the real minority. But feel good about that, I guess, because all those millions of dollars that are being spent, they are for you. You are special. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There are some jobs that seem so fun, so glamorous, so cool that there are a ton of people who would say, you know what? I would lop off a digit. I would donate an essential organ for the chance to do this job. Others would say, you know what? They will, they, they may be not quite so self cutting up. <laughs> they would just say, I would do that job for free. Cause that job looks so cool. Well, everybody's got one. Everybody's got a job that might fit that bill for them playing for the Maple Leafs maybe, or I don't know, being prime minister, being a travel writer, whatever. 
But high on that list, I would have to believe for many, many people is the opportunity to hobnob with the glitterati on the red carpet at a big event. Stand there and interview movie star after movie star after movie star. My next guest is that guy. Uh, Usually you see him on CHCH's morning show. This week, though, he's been standing at the red carpet at the Toronto International Film Festival. Bob Cowan is his name. He joins us now. Bob, how are you? Hey, Scott. Yes, yes. Movie star after movie star. Another day at the office. There is zero glamour here, Scott, in this job. Oh, come on. Everyone's looking at you going, you are suffering so badly, Mr. Cowan. (laughs) Well, it has its moments, but uh, wow, the red carpet, I'll tell you, it's full contact sport. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, depending on the movie, of course, some like they're just jostling for position, and you never know. It is luck of the draw because the Toronto International Film Festival it is the world's biggest public film festival, and so there's international media here. So yeah, they spent some money to get here, and they're all jostling for position, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it can be a. Uh, pretty challenging to get that one-on-one we got lucky tonight i just finished speaking with renee zellweger so that was nice i saw that the tv was on in the studio i saw you were talking to her i must say she is beginning to look an awful lot like kim basinger you know what you're right i looked up for briefly i looked up very briefly and i went kim oh no renee zellweger the name popped up there but yes they they could be sisters now i'm just saying yeah well she went through a bit of a transformation and she also went on a long hiatus she was out of the picture for about six years and when you say transformation, you mean Hollywood nudge, nudge, wink, wink transformation. As in up in the hoist, I think. <laughs> All right. So most people will never do, will never get a chance to do what you're doing. So let's go and discuss how this works. Because again, most people will only see the finished product on TV. Right. You're down there and you've got the red carpet. You've got the gate. You've got the fence. You can't go over the fence. I'm assuming you can't just jump oh, the gate. Oh, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules. Well, how, first of all, how do you get your spot? Do you just first come, first serve? Uh, well, it all starts out with the accreditation process, and that actually happens back in July. And uh, once you're accredited, yeah, you find out. And you also, by the way, I should mention, you find out day of, which makes it a little difficult to plan. You don't know. You don't get approval or know exactly where you're going to be. You put in your request in the morning, and you don't know for certain until 2 in the afternoon if you've been accepted for that red carpet. Really? Which is, which is a little nerve-wracking. No so kidding. Far, so you drive down to Toronto and just wait for them to for the email to arrive saying you're good? Purely going on faith. Wow. Yeah. All right. So far, it's been good. I would think, though, that anyone, this is a way to make sure that nobody asks any tough questions. You ask a hard question and your emails are going to start coming up negative. So, yeah, you know what, and all those rules, and yeah, that's one of them. And you break one of those rules, you're not back next year. They flag it, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> But the publicists, they just, yeah, the publicists, they just hover like hawks. So you get down there, you get your email that says you're good to go. Do they assign you a spot then along the fence? Or again, is it whoever gets there first gets to stake yeah, out their no, position? they definitely assign a spot. We're moving on up this year because uh, last year we were around... Uh, anywhere from number 15 to number 20 in the mix. We're number nine this year. Excellent. Woo-hoo. Excellent. That was the highest position we had. Um, but yeah, that, that's the toughie and you never know. Again, it's movie to movie. And of course the temperament of star to star, um, because they assign, Oh, on average, there's about 30 positions in that red carpet. So if you're in the top 10, you're usually pretty good, but that's not a guarantee. But you never know when they're going to cut it off. And that happened to us the other night with uh, Ford versus Ferrari. 
Uh, the principals of that movie, Christian Bale and Matt Damon, they were so close. They were so close. They were like 10 feet away from me. And uh, we were in, I think we were number 12 or 14 position. And they shut her down around number eight. I was like, really? You know, but and, there's nothing we can do about it. And at that point, does Bob Cowan become the bleating, oh, Matt, please, Matt, please? Do you become <laughs> that guy? Uh, well, no, you can't because it's just, uh, it's not cricket. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you get there, uh, I'm assuming you know what movie it is that you're standing out in front of for the premiere. You would have to know that. But do you know... Like, does Bob Cowan know by recognition all the people, all the directors, all the stars, everybody by name, when someone's walking towards you, do you immediately go, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so? Because, like, the biggest yeah. stars you would know. But what yeah, about the but, directors? Of, or have you had to study this to make sure you know who they are? You've got to study. You've got to be prepared when you're standing in that red carpet so you know who's coming your way. But uh, I will tell you, there's all. it's a major Google fest among everyone. <laughs> And then as they're coming towards you, is there someone who's saying, uh, by the way, coming down the red carpet right now, this is Bob Schmarcola from Movie X, or is it, again, well, you're just on your own to figure it out? You know what? Um, they it, Again, that is hit and miss. Good ones do help you out, but uh, sometimes there is zero help, and we're, we have to fend, to ourselves, fend for ourselves to uh, prepare for that. But there's also a negotiation process that goes on. I actually got burned last year. Because uh, the publicists, you know, they have their agenda, and there's uh, certain actors uh, that they want to have featured. Our first man last year with Ryan Gosling. Great movie. Great movie. The Neil Armstrong story. And I was dying to meet and speak with uh, Ryan Gosling. So uh publicist comes up to me. One of the actresses uh, she wanted to uh, feature. And I said, well, I don't want to miss out on Ryan Gosling, and I know he's going to be coming down the way. She goes, don't worry if uh, if you introduce my actress, and I'm blanking on her name right now. Uh, she played one of the wives, uh, one of the Apollo wives okay. in the movie. Uh, but anyways, uh, don't worry. I will assure you, you'll get Ryan Gosling if you interview my actress. Well, I'm interviewing her, and I'm speaking to her. I see peripherally Ryan Gosling walking behind her and past us, and he's gone. And did you have words with the publicist? Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that they're going to stop, right? You're, I mean, you do your no. best, but so yep. so. What's the trick? You've been there a few times. How many years have you done this now? Uh, this is my third year. Okay, so you must have learned. I'm guessing the first year. I mean, like anything else that someone's doing for the first time, you're watching other people and you're a fish yep. out of water. Uh, what yep. have you learned? What are the tricks to try and get them to come? Well, uh, you have to uh, really. I, I found. Just you learn how to make eye contact with them. If you can do that and draw them in, it's it's really important. That, that, that's key. Just get their attention. I'm so relieved that you didn't say unbutton your shirt down to your navel. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, that would not work. <laughs> so you get them. So now they stop. Okay. So actor X, big actor, big star, Renee Zellweger today, she stops. That's fantastic that you've got them to stop. The problem now is... You've got to have something to ask them. Right. So you've got to have those questions in your back pocket and ready to go and hit the ground running. And it seems to me there are two types of questions. Having watched, I don't watch a ton. I never was a big fan of the Joan Rivers red carpet thing, but having watched who a few. Who are you of, wearing? Yeah, well, that, there are the two questions. There is the vapid, ridiculous, who are you wearing questions, which I don't know that anyone really wants to hear anymore. 
No. Or there are those that are interesting questions. So how, I, I've never heard you ask yet, who are you wearing? Thank goodness, Bob Cowan. Applaud <laughs> to you for not ever asking that question. Well, thank you, Scott. But how do you, how much time ahead of time are you thinking, or is it an on-the-spot kind of thing? Well, you know, I sort yeah, I, I do feel it out. And um, I also listen to what um, they're answering just before they get to me, because I don't want to be repetitive. Right. And, and for their sake, I, I want to keep it fresh for them. Otherwise, they're just going to get bored. And, you know, their eyes will drift off. So um, I, I try to uh, come up with something that uh, they haven't been hit with yet. But to also, you know, specific with the movie, they're there to sell a movie and, and something specific to the role that they're playing. So are you ever trying to pull the Brian Linehan routine? Hamilton guy, I mean, you remember Brian yeah, Linehan, yeah, who always absolutely. caught them off guard. Is that the goal, or is it just to make sure that you say enough interesting stuff that they stick around and want to answer the question? Well, yeah, that, that method of Brian Linehan is actually a very effective one, because if you can find that nugget, and yes, I did learn that from him, uh, if you can find that nugget, you get to raise eyebrows and, oh, wow, okay, and, and they're flattered by the research. Well, I'm, they're flattered by the research, and as you just pointed out, I'm sure by the time they get to number 9 or 10 or 11 or 12, they've probably been asked the same question seven times out of that group. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. anything that's not just the same answer they've given over and over again is probably much appreciated. Yeah, because I used to do this um, uh, pretty much full-time with the junkets, the uh, Hollywood junkets, mm, where mm-hmm. you're sitting down in a hotel room with these people, and you know you feel bad for them, cause, and it's difficult because you're walking in, sitting down in this room and you know that they've spoken with, uh, you know, 25, 30 interviewers before, and it's got to be so tedious for them. The red carpet's actually a shorter version of that with drinking. There's not drinking on the red carpet. Um, no, but I think there is just definitely after and on a few occasions just before. Getting out of the limo. There, there may be alcohol in some of the limos is what you're saying. I'm not mentioning names, but actually last year we had one in particular that was we knew was Dwayne and I, uh, Dwayne, my cameraman, uh, yeah, we looked at each other. Yep, he's tipsy. <laughs> well, the other Speaking thing is... drink, Scott. Yes, please. Yeah, so I was interviewing uh, Zachary Momo uh, earlier today. He is um, in the movie Harriet. Yes, and, but uh, Harriet we're Tubman. Interviewing, we're interview- yeah, and we were uh, interviewing him at the Shangri-La Hotel. I don't know how the uh, topic came up. <laughs> he and uh, someone from the film actually got burned in the restaurant because, of course, I, the prices go up at TIFF. And uh, <laughs> they're serving a drink there called the Director's Cut. And he said it was cognac, champagne, uh, pop rocks, and a lot of foam. And guess what the TIFF special price was for that drink? I would, uh, 30 bucks. $600. <laughs> And he ordered one or two or five and then got the bill? One by mistake and they sent it back. <laughs> I and would I would think, Bob, that any drink that involves Pop Rocks should never go above about $5. Yeah, yeah. but it's tough. Unless it's Pop Rocks and Coke. And then apparently the story is that you would explode if you drink it. So maybe they pay you for that one. Yeah, that or Mentos. Ment- yes, yeah, do the Diet Coke with Mentos. Yeah, maybe that'll be next year's drink. You don't get much time. This is the other thing. And I was watching, um, I was watching, I can't remember who it was you were interviewing this week. Uh, oh, I know who it was. It was Ronnie Hawkins. And it was oh, about, yes. and you don't get much time. And as you say, the publicists are right there. They are, they are the buffer. And man, within like two minutes, if that, they're like, okay, thank you. See you. Thank you. See you later. Thank you. I mean, you don't get much time with these people. 
Yeah, that was actually a great night. First of all, because the Hawks, he only had 30 seconds. Yeah, you're right. They were scooting him off, but in that 30 seconds, he gave me gold. And he kept going. He kept going. Which is the which is compliments to you, and again, it goes to the point. If you can interest them, it seems that they will want to stick around and keep talking. Yeah. Well, uh, Ronnie, actually, we, we kind of go way back because there's a story I'll quickly tell you. Uh, when Remember when Bill Clinton was speaking at Carmen's in the Mountain? This is going back. I do, years. yep. Yeah, quite a while ago. Well, anyways, Bill Clinton is a huge Ronnie Hawkins fan. And so we spoke to Bill Clinton's handlers, and we said, uh, we know Ronnie Hawkins. Uh, would Bill Clinton be interested in meeting him? And they got back, and sure enough, anyways, long story short, we set up a meet and greet at Carmen's backstage between uh, Bill Clinton and Ronnie Hawkins, and big photo off, big reunion. And uh, so Ronnie was uh, particularly uh, thankful for that uh, opportunity. So he always brings it up, and he brought it up again on the red carpet this week. He remembers. So that he- was our end. Do you, are you told, now I asked you this sort of, but are you told ahead of time of topics that you are not allowed to ask them, or is that just based on you better know what not to ask them? Yeah, you know what, that has not, surprisingly, that has not come up at TIFF, but it used to come up a lot uh, with the aforementioned junkets that I was mentioning. And uh, you'll hear, you're not to bring up such and such, whether it's a personal thing, and, of course, uh, the studios are promoting a movie, so they, you can feel if you're talking about a future project with an actor that's not the movie at hand Yes, that they're promoting, you can feel eyes burning in the side of your head from the publicist. And, heaven forbid, you bring up the uh, affair with the mistress or something, you will, um, as I say, those emails More probably... Scowling. Yeah, uh, at least. Now, have yeah. you... i got to ask you this. You've done this for a while. You've sat down. You've done the red carpet. Have you ever blown it? Uh, no, but now you made me nervous. Right? <laughs> I gotta come back here tomorrow. I don't mean blown it like just gone blank, although I suppose that could happen, but have you ever identified someone as the wrong person? Uh, no, thank God. Okay, that's good. That's good. It is an on-the-job hazard. Have you ever asked a question that you could tell from the look in their eyes that they were really, that the actor or actress was ticked off that they were asked? Hmm, yeah, uh, no. Oh, thankfully. Wow! Again, Bob yeah. Cowan, professional red carpet guy. I mean, because because <laughs> believe me, there are you go on yeah. YouTube. There are those. Well, now you're freaking me out because now I'm thinking it hasn't happened yet. It's bound to happen. I'm due. Well, who do you got tomorrow? Tom Hanks. You can screw up Tom Hanks this summer. <laughs> He's a great guy, by the way. Uh, who, who, by the way, He's so one of my you, favorite interviews. You you had Renee Zellweger today. I saw that you had Jamie Foxx a couple days ago. Yeah, uh, Ron, Ron Howard. Howard I, Ron Howard, man, that, that uh, see, I'm envious right there. I can live without Renee Zellweger. I can do without Jamie Foxx. Ron Howard, I'd be all over that yeah. one. Yeah, and uh, wow, he was amazing. And actually, so that night, Robbie Robertson, uh, of course, the, the documentary that opened the Toronto International Film Festival about the band. He started the show, didn't talk to anybody. He just whipped by in the red carpet. So I thought, oh my gosh, is that how it's going to go tonight? <laughs> But then comes, Ron, first of all, Ronnie Hawkins, who was, we talked about earlier. He was great. And then Ron Howard, who was an executive producer of the movie, he shows up, and I thought for sure he'd be blowing past this. He stopped down, spoke with us one-on-one, he and Brian Grazer, and he's the most charming guy. So Still, that was nice. Uh, who, who, do you have a question that you have thought that once upon a time you pulled the Brian Linehan routine? Is there a question you look back on with a celebrity and go, man, that was the best thing I ever asked anybody? Does uh, one stand out or are they all that great? 
they're all that great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Ever get starstruck? Is there anybody that is so big that you've gone, wow, I can't believe I'm talking to this person? Yeah, that's a good question. And, well, it's funny. I, actually, Tom Hanks is that guy. Um, but the first time I interviewed him, it was kind of funny and weird because I was interviewing him for the Green Mile. Yeah. But during those interviews, he was in the, he was in the process of filming Castaway. And uh, actually, he mentioned when I walked in the room, he knew where I was from. And he goes, oh, I was just in Canada. And I said, oh, really? He had to fly to Moscow. Have you seen um, uh, Castaway? Yes, of course. The opening scene, uh, he's actually a... In the plane crash. Guy, ...and there's those scenes in Moscow. He was flying to Moscow via private jet. They actually had to refuel in Nunavut. So he said, I was in Nunavut. And I said, oh, well, we have better shopping than that. But he said he was actually on the tarmac waiting for the jet to refuel. So that was his most recent time in Canada. But uh, anyways, he was filming Castaway, and he had the full beard, and he also had an eye infection that weekend, so he was wearing <laughs> dark sunglasses. So that was my icebreaker when I went in the room. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got the ZZ Top room. Yeah, that works. That works. Yeah. Way to go, Bob. That would do it. Yeah. Anything, yeah. To, any, as you say, anything to stay a little bit different. Uh, who would you like to interview? There's got to be somebody that's either there oh, this I, year. Yeah, hands oh. down. Uh and I missed him this weekend, Daniel Craig, who took a break. I'm a huge Bond freak, Scott. And Daniel Craig took a break from shooting No Time to Die, Bond 25 in Italy, to come to Toronto to promote his movie Knives Out. I couldn't be at that red carpet. I desperately wanted to meet Daniel Craig. I've never met him, but what I've heard is, Bob, that you're about three feet taller than him. No. Really? <laughs> apparently he's a very apparently he's a Tom Cruise esque figure. Very very little apparently was the story, but I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But um, yeah, well I know I'm vertically challenged, so I, I bet he still is a little taller than me. You know the best part about this, and this is a lovely part when you get to do what you're doing, is knowing that there are hundreds and there are thousands of people who would kill to have your job. I mean it's it's a cool thing, I would think, to know. You know I'm doing something that half of Hamilton would pay big money to have the opportunity to do. Yeah. Well, it is a fun thing. And, you know, it, it, it does get hairy. Like uh, Dwayne and I, like, you know, we're doing these interviews and you know, you're taping it and then you're going live and you've got a, you know, th- there's a, a whole technical aspect that makes it uh, frantic. But at the same time, I, I never take it for granted. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, please be in touch with us the first time you do massively screw one up, though, because it's never happened. So it could be 25 years from now. Right. Yep. Stand by to go live. I'll fill you in. <laughs> but, you know, having watched again a few of those YouTube ones where people have completely mangled it or got the wrong star, they're asking a question of the wrong person. That one's always one of my favorites. Yeah. Well, I'll get a blooper reel started for you, Scott. Yeah. The Lawrence Fishburne, Samuel L. Jackson confusion. That was a good one that you can find oh, online. My gosh, I saw that one. That is a classic. Yeah. Don't do that. He was, he was not impressed. Don't do that one. Uh, Bob Cowan, you can see him down on the red carpet doing his thing. Uh, you're going to be there for the rest of the week, I assume? Um, yeah, again, uh, we're going up a year. I, I'm, we're here tomorrow for sure. And then I think I'm back on Morning Live Thursday. You can catch him there. You can go on to chch.com and you can see all the old uh, hits that he's done and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Bob, listen, appreciate it. Great job. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Hey, great talking to you, Scott. That is Bob Cowan from CHCH, who, as I say, has a job that I think there are thousands of people in this city who would say, that may be the cool job of the week, maybe of the month, maybe of the year. For some people, of the year. 
to just go down and talk to Tom Hanks and Renee Zellweger and Jamie Foxx and Ron Howard and on and on and on. I think some people would be okay with that. I mean, there's pressure. There is absolutely pressure, as he says, but I think people would be willing to take a crack at that pressure. They wouldn't maybe do it as well, but they'd be willing to take a crack at that pressure. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.